Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. This should be a national holiday. I know some people take the day off for, you know, the start of March Madness or maybe take the Monday off after the Super Bowl. Wherever you live, if you're in a major league city or hell, even if you don't live in a major league city, but you have a team that you root for, today should be a day off. It should be a national holiday. It's the start of the major league baseball season. That's how I'm into it, man. There is still, in my opinion, the greatest sport, and you guys can send all your letters to Steve Versnick, um, and he'll be happy to take them. But I'm telling you, if you can't get excited, then you're not a baseball fan. Opening day, Rays hosting the Tigers at Tropicana Field this afternoon. We've got the lefty Sugar Shane McClanahan on the mound for the home team. And we have, to get you ready for this season, the 25th anniversary season, Mark Tompkin of the Tampa Bay Times, who has been there for all those games, every single one of them. You talk about, what was it, Field of Dreams? It goes, for years, baseball has mocked time, right? Well... 25 years have blown by us as sports writers, let me tell you. Um, but uh, it's great to have another opening day, and uh, the the trop will be rocking, and, you know, 17th straight sellout for opening day minus the, the COVID year when they didn't have crowd. But, like, this is this is big time, man. Wander Franco is going to play. So um, Rays are about as healthy as they could be to start this year. Um, obviously they'd like to have Tyler glass now, but that probably won't happen until May at the earliest, but, uh, they're well stocked in their starting pitching and yeah, they got to keep guys healthy and they got to get production. But this, this is, uh, you know, the Rays know their way to the postseason, and this is where the journey begins. So it's an everyday thing now for the next six months. And there's nothing like that first day everybody still gets, still get the opening day jitters. It doesn't matter how long you've been. In the game, so we'll talk to Mark Topkin of the Tampa Bay Times about all of that in just a second. First, I'm going to remind you guys how to save money on your electric bill. It's called May Electric Solar. They're a family-owned business. They've been in the area for 13 years. There's other companies out there. Don't trust them. Trust May Electric Solar because they're committed to you for the long term. They are the only ones that will guarantee their workmanship with a 30-year labor and services warranty. And then with every installation, they give you $750 worth of surge protection just for all your appliances. That is the main difference. If you visit the Hudson Showroom, May Electric displays all their products. They conduct on-site testing. You can see what they're going to install. They're going to customize it towards your needs. Plus, they don't use subcontractors. You know all those people up there are Billy Mays guys taking care of you, and that's important. Start saving today. Call the solar energy experts at May Electric Solar at 727-819-2862. and schedule a free estimate. Lower your electric bill all year long and preserve the quality of your life and that of your appliances. It's May Electric Solar at 727-819-2862. Should be a national holiday, in my opinion. Opening day in Major League Baseball. The Rays hosting the Detroit Tigers. And for the 25th season, all 25 of them, Mark Topkin has been there for the Tampa Bay Times. 
And he joins us now. Mark, 25 years, uh, I guess our kids, or in this case, our grandkids, Mark, time. Congratulations, <laughs> uh, Pop. Um, you've got a lot to celebrate on this opening day. Yeah, pretty crazy. Uh, you think of, you know, use, use baseball as a, as a marker in your life, Rick, and, and where, we've all, where we all were in, on March 31st, 1998, and now I think we're going to be on March 30th, 2023, and uh, 25 mm. seasons of, of raised baseball, 25 years of all of our lives. So yeah. it's a pretty cool yeah. marker. I mean, you can you kind of manufacture numbers, but 25 is a pretty good one to celebrate things and, and note the passing of things. It sure is, and, and uh, I would be remiss if not saying that uh, you have a beautiful, beautiful grandchild now. Thank you, thank you. We're proud of little Eli. Eli, I like it. Um, so let's uh, l- let's start with, I guess, the expectations of this ball club, and we've talked a lot about you know in the off season um, there was efforts to improve the offense to get a bat, those kinds of things. But at the end of the day, it didn't work out. Uh, for them, and they're putting uh, a lot of faith and stock in the fact that uh, they're getting some players back, and hopefully those players will stay healthy, whether it's Wander Franco, Brandon Lau, Manuel Margot, uh, Harold Ramirez, you know, guys that um, if they are in there for, I don't know, 130 games, uh, you would see that offensive production. So how does that look right now? And as we enter and we're, we're, we're doing this uh, a couple days in advance of opening day just uh, for the listeners, but uh, how do we look injury-wise in a Wander Franco? You know, anytime I hear Wander Franco in quad, it gets me, I start getting nervous for the kid. <laughs> I don't know why. Um, but uh, how are we looking heading into the regular season? Yeah, I mean, first I, can, I run down the injuries for you first and then kind of the bigger picture, but I did talk to Wander Franco on Monday morning. Uh, you know, the news had come out over the weekend. He was scratched from the Saturday game. He no. said, uh, as of then, it felt like more tightness. He was ready to go on Thursday. So he certainly seems optimistic and that this is something cool. that the treatment uh, could take care of. Now, how, how did it happen? Why did it happen? I don't think he knows. I'm not sure the Rays know. They're certainly going to keep an eye on it. But you know, after what he went through last year when it first bothered him at the end of April in Chicago playing in cold weather, and then it was almost a month till he ended up going on the injured list, I think they saw how that wore him down. I will tell you that on Monday he talked about this, and he had that, that Wander Franco smile and that Wander Franco energy. When he talked about the injury last year, he was really drained and upset about it. So I, I think if you want to read into, you know, Joe yeah. Madden used to say when a player has good face, you know something. And Wander had good face. So I, I think he feels pretty good about it. Uh, Tyler Glassnow is going to be out into May. That was obviously the biggest injury of the spring. Uh, right. And yet, in a weird way, there was it was a slight benefit to the fact after he got hurt when they realized they were going to have to limit his innings anyway and you know it was going to be a battle to pull him out after three and four innings some games because his first full year after Tommy John surgery coming back. So they're kind of viewing it as sometime in May and then he could just be unbridled the rest of the year. Outside of that, nothing really major, Rick. Sean Armstrong was a key part of the bullpen last year. He's got some issues that still haven't been figured out how they're going to treat it. He won't be ready anytime soon. Uh, but really, outside of that, you know, they got Taylor Walls had something. They got past that. A uh, couple little things here and there. So they seem to be going into the season pretty healthy, pretty full uh, as far as what they wanted. And then as far as, you know, expectations, I, I think it's pretty simple. It's, they're looking to make the playoffs for a fifth straight year and, you know, it'll take a little bit of work. John Romano is better at this than I am, but there's not a lot of teams that have made the playoffs for five straight years. 
Uh, and certainly, you know, the wild card era helped. You have to put that, at, you know, that asterisk on it. You know, they only made it last year because the extra wild card was added. You have to acknowledge that. But bottom line is they still got in, and, you know, 10 teams got in and, and 20 teams didn't. So there's definitely a benefit, uh, definitely a reward for doing that, and they try to do it for a fifth straight year. You brought up the biggest point was the offense. We, we, I wrote, you talked about, many others noted that that was their biggest issue last year. Eric Neander, in the, in the rawness of the first media session after the season ended, said they'd be, it wouldn't be smart to not add to it. Uh, and yet they looked around, they didn't see anybody. There have been some guys this spring that have been impressive. Sometimes March becomes a mirage. We know that March mirages is a spring training thing, but. Luke Rayleigh, Josh Lowe, a couple of some other guys that maybe won't even open with the team, uh, but they've got a little bit of depth offensively. They feel that this group, with the health and the return of the guys you mentioned, to me the biggest two are Brandon Lau and Wander Franco. Yeah, Manny Margot sure. missed half the year. You know what you're going to get from him. Brandon Lau yeah. had the one big year. Is, is that what he is? That what he is when he's fully healthy? And we haven't seen Wander Franco over a full year yet. We've seen glimpses of what he can be and what they expect him to be. That dominant multi-tool, dynamic, elite-level player, but he's got to do it for most of six months. Yeah, I mean, Brandon Lau, you know, if, if he delivers the 39 home runs that he was capable of 2021, first, if he can play 130-plus games or so, that's that's the key. Um, how has he looked just swinging the bat this spring? I mean, I listen, for, uh, and it's very hard to get a read on spring training always, right, because who's throwing, how many at-bats did they get, that sort of thing. But when I, any time I would look at the Rays, it seemed like, as Joe Madden would say, they were very hitterish during the off season, during the spring training. No, that's a fair observation. They were, and you know, again, I don't, I don't even look at the league stats, but I know they were toward the top in a lot of the league offensive stats. Uh, you know, on the other hand, two of the games against Boston, Boston did not bring a major league player to the drop. So, you know, sure, sure. How do you judge some of those things? But as far as just you know, look at it kind of granularly, the swing. The recovery, yeah. the ability to play back-to-back games, the ability to, you know, make some pivots at second base. Uh, you know, talking to Brandon, he said, you know, part of his approach this spring was to try to do everything. You know, swing all out, swing protected, swing in two-strike mode. You know, just do all the things that you normally do during a season and make sure none of them hurt, none of them bothered him, none of them caused him to be hesitant. And he said that he did not feel any of that all spring. That he was able to play as he played in the past, and that's obviously great news for the Rays, assuming that holds up all year. Yeah, no question. And, and so obviously he'll be important, uh, Wander, for sure. Uh, another guy, and he may, I don't even know if it's arguable, he may have been one of the best players or the best player in the World Baseball Classic, but I mean, when the lights come on, Randy Rosarena does not disappoint. That has been his M.O. Now, the question is, how much of that can we see during a 162-game regular season? But he's already amped up. He's already kind of in uh, compete mode. He's had a number of, of competitive at-bats um, during that whole thing playing for Mexico. So will there be, you think, uh, Mark, uh, kind of a carryover effect into the regular season? You think so, and you think the timing of that would be pretty good for the Rays because, you know, if he can kind of channel and continue that energy, it'll be a big crowd. For opening day, I assume the fans standing out in left field, and now they've actually got that standing room only ticket the Rays do, and one of the big areas is kind of that left field area behind left field. You'd assume there'll be a lot of fan support for him there. We know he loves to play to the crowd, Rick, and yeah, you can't maintain that energy for 162 games. I don't, I don't know anybody. Maybe Brent Phillips can. That's about the only person I can think of. 
you could do that, but but obviously Randy has much more talent. So, yeah, I, I think the Rays are hoping he finds the middle ground. To me, as impressive as he was during the World Baseball Classic, and undoubtedly he was the best player, he's also the most entertaining player. There should be two awards, most valuable, most entertaining. He would have gotten both of them. Uh, but early in spring, uh, the hitting coach, Chad Matola, maybe be the most impressive thing was instinctual players. Prep, you know, they, he, he jokes. It's not even they joke about He jokes. He doesn't even know the pitcher's name sometimes. just wants to know how fast the fastball is and what, what off-speed pitches he throws. But Chad said that when Randy came in this year at the start of spring training, he asked them to get him, like, a deep dive statistically. Like, how are pitchers getting him out? What are they doing to him? that he's not, you know, doing well in response. How are pitchers, you know, changing what they've done? He wanted to get all that information to have some data background. Now, you know, how much is he going to study it? How much is that going to get incorporated? They obviously don't want to cloud his mind and, and you know, uh, quiet his instincts. But the fact that he asked, working with uh, Chris Prieto, the outfield coach, a little bit on getting a little better read, a little quicker jump. So Randy seems to have taken some ownership of some of the the smaller the, the deep parts of his game, and if that if that carries forth, you know, think about that. As, as talented as he is playing instinctually, now you're going to add you know some targeted areas of using data and information to try to improve on things that you can improve upon. He really could be in for that monster year. Yeah, indeed. I mean, that's you know to go up there and just want to know how hard somebody is throwing. Not a lot of information. I know guys hit that way. Sometimes they don't want all that information, but the game has changed so much um, that, yeah, I couldn't imagine uh, if he can take advantage of that. Um, There's some other players that are interesting, and and they're going to play every day, at least one that I'm watching. And, Mark, I don't remember a player stealing home during spring training, but Jose Suri did. Um, Another entertaining guy, but he's replacing, you know, uh, big shoes, and, and I mean that. Uh, he can't replace the leadership necessarily of Kevin Kiermaier. What have you seen from him, though? Uh, in the outfield, we know he can play, but offensively this spring. Yeah, that, that's going to be the key for Jose Siri. I mean, defensively, yeah, I, I have tremendous respect for what Kevin Kiermaier did. Uh, he's, you know, we named him as the center fielder on our all-time race team. That was one of the easiest decisions for me, even though there were, you, know, you could make a case for B.J. Upton, but to me, Kevin Kiermaier was the guy, and uh, I, I think, you know, Jose Siri realizes that. I think he looks at it as he has a chance to be Jose Siri now. Athletically, physically, he, he could be as good as Kevin Kiermaier. He's faster, I think, than Kevin Kiermaier. His arm may be not be quite as strong, but he has the ability to be just as athletic and cover just as much ground as Kevin Kiermaier does. I think as he gets more comfortable, you know, playing with Randy, obviously, in left, and then there'll be a little bit of a rotating group in right. Uh, yeah, we're going to see that. So I think defensively he can be as good, maybe even better. Who knows? I mean, Kiermaier's got three gold gloves sitting on the shelf, so you got to do that before you can be in that sentence. But it's just going to be a question defensively. You know, we saw him drop a butt down a couple times in spring training. That's going to be part of his repertoire. We didn't really see that much last year. We've seen him create a couple runs. The day he stole home, he walked, stole second, went to third on an errant throw or wild pitch. And then go home. I mean, you're, you're creating, literally creating runs out of nothing. And if he can do that a couple times, I know Kevin Cash said the other day that uh, his quote was, we're going to win games this year because of Jose Siri's foot speed. And, and I think that's very true. Yeah, indeed. That's, that's absolutely true. And, they, you know, we talked about them um, so looking for a left-handed 
bat, and that's something this lineup has needed and, and will continue to need. Um, so a couple guys in particular in the spring print training uh, showed that they may be capable of it. We saw just a glimpse last year of Josh Lowe. Um, this year, uh, he seemed to swing a pretty good bat, and and frankly, Luke Rayleigh may, may have had an even better spring. So how do they feel about those two guys in particular helping them from that side? Yeah, I think Josh Lowe is, is they're seeing the player they thought they saw last spring. You remember they traded Austin Meadows right at the end of spring training, and part of that really primarily at the time they thought was to clear a path for Josh Lowe to get to the big leagues right away. It turned out that Isak Paredes was a really good pickup and hit 20 over, which is a credit yeah. to Kevin Eibach and the rest of the Rays pro scouting staff. But uh, that was the idea last year. Josh Lowe didn't respond May 1st. He started to do a little better at Durham. They brought him back up in July low start. Then he started to click a little bit. They weren't fully confident in him. They traded for David Peralta. They sent Josh Lowe back, and that was it. Uh, I think Josh Lowe learned last year. I think he was much more relaxed this spring, whether that translates to facing, you know, the kind of pitching they're going to face once you start playing for real. Uh, who yeah. knows? We'll have to wait and see on that. But I think they feel better about where Josh Lowe is mentally as much as physically, just seeing a more relaxed uh, player that they think can be the guy who is an impact player. But Luke Rayley, no doubt, he, he is one of the players, he and Josh Fleming, who won jobs this spring uh, yeah. and, and did so by playing really well. And, look, I took this question from a lot of people during the winter. I wrote about it myself when they're looking for left-handed bat, okay, but also why was Luke Rayley still on the roster? They you know There are a couple things where they didn't have a roster spot, and they kept carrying Luke Rayley, kept carrying Luke Rayley. They let other people go. They traded G-Man Choi. I mean, they really – it was a little surprising, but they saw something in Luke Rayleigh. They thought they could kind of uncover a little bit, and that has shown this spring. Now, can he transfer that? Can he still do it uh, come April? It, we'll see. But the idea that he is uh, more natural to play, he cut down on a swing a little bit, a little less of that big swing and miss, still has the power, and he showed them he could play first base. That's probably why he made the team. They went into camp thinking – Maybe it would be Josh Lowe or Luke Rayleigh, and the other position would be Vidal Brujan or Jonathan Aranda or someone else if they picked up. But when Luke Rayleigh showed them he could handle himself at first, giving them that left-handed hitting option at first base when they face a tough right-hander and they want to go all as left as they can, I think that's what got him on the team when you combine it with the offense. So will we see Yandy Diaz at first as well? I mean, how are they going to work that this year? I think Yandi will play first more than he plays third. That is their plan. I don't think yeah. Luke Rayleigh will play first against every right-hander. Uh, mm -hmm. I think there will be certain right-handers when Yandi does play first. But they do have the option to put Yandi back over uh, to third base. You know, Paredes can move around, so you can have a day, uh, you know, if they so desire, where they want to put uh, Yandi at third, mix it up a little bit. You know, Taylor Walls is going to play being a switch hitter. He's going to play a lot. He'll play some at second. He'll play some at short. He'll play some at third. So I think they like the flexibility. But going into the season, I think Yandy will be the primary first baseman. But the ability for Luke Rayleigh to be in there when they want to against the tough righties will definitely help. Yeah. Um, you can't talk about the Rays unless you you really – I mean, the story has always begun, I think, with, with pitching and defense. Um, and so we we mentioned some of the defense in the outfield uh, and in the infield for that matter. But, look, Mark, I know it, at some point they'll get Tyler Glass now back, and as you said, when they do, uh, you know, he'll have plenty of runway to, to finish the year with. Um, but just looking at, at this starting staff in particular – 
and with the guy that's going to take the ball in game one, Shane McClanahan, what's it like, you think, for the Rays to just, you know, to have a power left-handed arm like that at the top of this rotation? Well, first of all, it's probably a familiar feeling if you think about it, because that's what David True. Price was. That's right. Oh, by the way, he was a young. And then Blake <laughs> Snell was that guy. He was pretty good. Oh, by the way, he won a Cy Young. So okay. It's actually pretty high for Shane McClanahan right now. <laughs> think about it in that context. But, look, he is really good. He knows he's really good. But he also yeah. is, is very consistent in saying he can get better. Uh, there's more he can do. He wants to be better. He wants to be the best. Uh, he started an all-star game. He made his debut in the postseason. You think about all that's happened to him. He's just barely 25 years old. But, uh, I, I give him credit. A lot of 25-year-olds, and then we both have kids that went through this period, Rick. You know, they 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 have they do things. They think they're pretty good. They think they're you know good at mm-hmm. something, and, and maybe they don't think they need to work so hard anymore. Like, hey, I'm cool. I'm good. Like, let's go. And Shane McClanahan, you know, he is either really good at rehearsing his speech or very sincere, but he is very adamant that he can get better and he wants to get better. And and to see that drive in a young kid who's had a lot of his success early on, to me, that is impressive. Yeah, now he's a serious cat when he wants to be, and that's most of the time. Um, and speaking of left-handers, I, one of the most surprising things that I didn't know a whole lot about him, and, and you know, they brought him out of the bullpen at first. Now, how about Jeffrey Springs and just the way he has developed um, into this impact starter? And I don't know, again, you know, it's spring training, right? And so you don't. You, whether you're pitching or hitting, you don't want to put too much emphasis on this, but like he was unhittable during the spring, basically. And he, he was pretty good last year, and I think that's probably the better you know point of reference for how good yeah. he was in stretches last year. And I'll, I'll put it this way, and then you'll know exactly what I mean. He might surpass Chris Archer as one of the best trades the Rays uh, ever made the other direction. In other words, what they gave up to get Jeffrey Springs uh, we always thought, yeah. you know, they gave up Archer and they got Glass down Meadows and Shane Boz and, you know, injuries have limited each one of those guys. Meadows obviously was traded. But uh, to get Jeffrey Springs for what they gave up to, you know, a prospect who hasn't really developed as far as a catcher in Ronaldo Hernandez and a, a fringy little of a minor leaguer in Nick Sogard, and to get a guy who's going to be, you know, number two or three in their rotation and arguably could be number one in some teams' rotations – uh, yeah. And also driven to kind of get better and still, you know, with some upside ahead of him because, you know, he hasn't worked that much as a pitcher given all the relief work he did. You know, a lot of arm, not a lot of mileage on the arm, as they say. So, yeah, he is really, really good. And to have gotten him, identified him, transitioned him from bullpen to starter, and now reaping the rewards has been really impressive. So, look, they're going to miss Glass now, and Josh Fleming obviously is, is a significant difference in that rotation. But, when they go out there and they go into a series and it's some combination of McClanahan, Eflin, Springs, Rasmussen, they're going to feel pretty good about their chances uh, pretty much every day. Yeah, every game they're going to have a shot. And you mentioned Zach Eflin. Um, this is the biggest contract the Rays have ever made, a uh, $40 million investment, and uh, he needs to find a way to, to hopefully earn it for a, for a full year. I don't know how much you've watched him pitch before he came to the Rays. I don't know if there's been a significant difference or changes that they've made in, in his sort of approach or if he's talked about that. But, but what have you, just the eyeball test, what have you seen from him this spring? I mean, what they rave about with Eflin, uh, Rick, is just the ability to control the strike zone and to throw the ball where he wants it to go, whereas you know McClanahan and Rasmussen are more power 
and Springs yeah. is maybe, you know, fastball to change up and just the, the differential that Zach Eflin is, is an artist. You know, he paints, he's on the black all the time. And, and I think that's what's going to set him apart. And, you know, depending on how they set this up and, you know, there's a little bit to be said for, you know, one team's, you know, flip between righties and lefties in the rotation and they switch between power guys and control guys. It's done for a reason. It's to throw hitters off a little bit. And I think, you know, the, the Rays could present to some of these hitters could be pretty impressive as far as the mix of their starters. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. I'm just going to guess, and I haven't spent a lot of time studying the AL East, but I got to believe that uh, it starts with the New York Yankees, and um, obviously the Rays are in it and have been, as you mentioned, going to the playoffs now uh, fairly consistently. So how does the rest of, of, of that division stack out? I mean, it seemed like the Red Sox had a pretty good spring. Again, spring training can't read everything into it, but uh, is it going to be a two-team race, a three-team race? What do we have? I think as we as we sit here today, before anyone's played anything that matters, and yeah. it's, it's free to predict, I, I think it's yep. going to be the Yan- Yankees, Blue Jays, and Rays, to me, are the three best teams. I yeah. think there's a, a different drop-off there. I don't think Boston mm-hmm. has done enough, and they've had some injury issues. Chris Sale's a major question mark, even though he's looked healthy. Uh, Trevor yeah. Story coming off surgery, going to miss a big chunk of the year. Uh, some of the people they let go. So I, I do think, and obviously Xander Bogart being the biggest one, uh, I think that it's another tough year in Boston. And then Baltimore was that team last year, and you see this in a lot of sports, Rick, that team that overachieved last year. It was this great feel-good story, but they didn't yeah. really like address what they needed. So do they do they maintain? They didn't do enough to take the next step, or do they drop back? And sometimes that happens. You know, you, you have that one little burst, and then you drop back, and then you realize you need a little more. you got to add a little more. They didn't really do that. Uh, so I, I think Baltimore and Boston toward the bottom. And then, look, the other three, you can argue this a bunch of different ways. The pitching Toronto has, the overall talent the Yankees have, uh, and obviously, you know, the, the spunky Rays that, you know, typically get discounted, but year after year find a way to get in there. I think the challenge this year is the offense. I mean, they, you know, they dropped off a ton of runs, 200 runs just about from 21 to 22. Uh, obviously the playoff series highlighted the uh, ineffectiveness of the offense. They've got to find a way to produce more. And I I think Brandon Lau said something the other day that was kind of like, we just have to score some runs, not a lot, because we've got really good pitching. We just got to find a way to score enough runs to give them a chance. And then we can win a lot of games. Along those lines, Mark, there's been so many changes in baseball with, uh, with the pitch clock, which you've gotten to experience, I think as, as anyone who covers games, (laughs) probably excited about that. Uh, watch some nine inning games in under three hours. It's amazing. Um, so there's that, but, uh, which which will still be a thing, right? During the year, how these umpires, you know, call it and what situations and and all of that. The bases are wider, um, and more importantly, no shifts. Okay, and that could be, you know, the Rays incorporated that as much as any team. Then it became sort of routine for everyone to do it. Um, having said that, if you have an athletic, good defensive team, 
or if you have a team that puts a lot, makes a lot of contact, that should benefit you without shift. So what have you seen in terms of, of how some of these changes might affect the Rays in particular? Yeah, I mean, I think you can say this about the Rays and also any team with their, you know, their primary left-handed hitters. It's going to help Brandon Lau for sure. It's going to help Wander Franco when he's batting left-handed. That yeah. ground ball that was hit sharply between first and second base that for the last, what, five, six, seven, eight years has been an out is now going to be a hit again for the most part. Not all the time, yeah. but for the most part. Teams are yeah. learning how to manipulate this. You're allowed to stand like at second base, but you can't even straddle it. You have to be on the other side of the axis of second base as far as where that shortstop can go against a left-handed hitter. So some teams are going to try to hack the system. We saw this in spring training a couple times where a team with two with some really fast outfielders brought one in to almost be that short right fielder and then kind of played with two over the rest of the outfield. So there'll be some situations where teams try to hack it. But by and large, I think this is going to add offense to the game, which was the goal. I think yep. the bigger bases, even though it's just an inch and a half each way, so three inches total between first and second and second and third, it, it will somehow very minutely help base stealing. The limits on pickoff throws will help base mm-hmm. stealing. You can only pick yep. over twice. Uh, if you throw a third time, you don't get the guy, he goes. So it's a balk. He's essentially he gets the base anyway. So these things being done in the pitch clock to eliminate the dead time. I mean, there's going to be some issues. We've seen some weird like strikeouts. You know, third strike called, walks called uh, on the last pitch. It's obviously more in the spotlight then if it happens. And umpires have been told, you know, been told to be aggressive. Don't, you know, don't not call it because it would have been strike three or ball four, just as if you were going to call it at the start of the count. But so there'll be some controversy. There'll be some weird issues. But I tell you, the improvement on the game and the the, the speed, the, rip, the rapidity at which the game goes. Uh, you know, you look away, you run to, to get a cup of coffee or to the restroom or something, You maybe in the past you might miss two pitches. You might miss five now. Uh, mm-hmm. and it's interesting. I mean, some teams, we I don't know exactly how the Rays are doing it. We've just heard anecdotally, you know, some teams are putting more conce- more TVs up by the concession stands and, you know, making sure the radio play can be heard, the radio broadcast can be heard throughout the stadium because you're going to get up, you are going to miss some stuff. The action is faster, but the games also are going quicker. We're seeing a lot more two-and-a-half-hour, 235 type of games, uh, even you know, more so later in spring when it's you know not as many substitutions and stuff, and there have been some two-hour games. So I think that's going to be a noticeable difference. It's going to make the game shorter, and you know the Rays are also moving their game times up this year. Most of the home games are 640 now, so there's going to be days where you're out of there, you know, 839 o'clock as opposed to it being 10, 10, 15. Yeah, I wonder if you can make it home for Sunset Theater. Mark, what do you think? <laughs> those of you that follow mark uh, on facebook know what i'm talking about uh okay a couple more and uh the last one will be important uh not that these have not been but uh you were part of a of a documentary we're going to talk to the producer and, and the president uh over there at uh, wedu but it's a documentary called rise of the rays a devil of a story no one lived every single item of this uh story uh, than you did because you wrote all of them. And uh, some of it focuses on Rick Dodge, the late uh, assistant city manager from St. Pete. Just all the the flirtations, um, the construction of the of the trop, uh, all of that. Looking back at it, Mark, uh, I know it was more than 25 years ago now, but does it still seem unbelievable what what this area went to get to baseball. I mean, what, what I was struck by, and I looked at uh, a couple segments of this, is, man, it was such an effort for so long that 
there's no way they can let baseball can let this team leave. You know what I mean? Like somehow the, the community has to find a way to keep the Rays um, because of the struggle that that it was to get them. No, and, and Rick, I think that one of the the beautiful things about this documentary, and and uh, I know how much craft crafting they did and how much work they put into it, um, being being a small part of it myself, but knowing how many people they talked to and the research they did is. A lot of people don't remember that story. A lot of people are new to this area. A lot of people that are, you know, yeah. 25 and 30 years old now have no no basis of that. That's, they just know that, you know, there's the Tampa Bay Rays. It's a baseball team. They're pretty good. It, it plays at an indoor stadium. You know, there's, yeah. there's a fascinating story. And, you know, I, I marvel how they condensed it all to an hour. I, when they first told me they were doing this project, I thought it was going to be one of those, you know, six, seven, eight-hour, you know, yeah, uh, that plays out over the course of a week or something. But, to, to get it all into an hour, I think it's a very educational experience for a lot of people. And just a reminder of the passion and the, the blood, sweat, and tears it took by a lot of people to get a baseball team here. And you're right. And, and you know, maybe if one person out of all the thousands who view it realizes, you know, they should, you know, appreciate having a baseball team more because of what their, their forefathers and, and foremothers went through to get the team here, uh, it'll be worth it. Because it was really a, an incredible effort and 20 years of disappointments and frustrations and I think Vince DiMoli, who was the original owner who got the team, had a quote that it was like a path of a thousand ste- 10,000 steps, 10,000 phone calls, 10,000 disappointments, uh, and they finally got it done. Mark, you may not remember this. We were sitting next to each other in the Tampa Bay Times back in the day. I had been to Hawaii and had gone to Maui, of all places, right, and had just gone into a shirt store and saw a really cool hat, and it was said the Maui Stingrays, and I didn't know what they were. They were a Hawaiian baseball league team, right? But I liked the logo, and I brought the hat home. It was about the time that that the Rays were going to name their team. And I think you had broken that they wanted to name it Stingray. And it turns out this gosh darn Hawaiian Baseball League team uh, had essentially the trademark to Stingrays or whatever, and they were willing to sell it to Vince Namoli. But for $100,000, he bought himself a whole lot of devil problems and wouldn't pay it and ended up the devil raise. It's just an incredible story that you, you talk about during the documentary. Yeah. And, you know, you, you think back and, you know, how much difference would it have made? I mean, there was obviously some pushback uh, for a couple of reasons on the name devil raise, certainly from the religious aspect, certainly just that it was a clunky name, that it was a weird thing to have the two words. There were, there are lots of reasons that people didn't like it. Uh, and then you combine it with it was a team that, you know, after the initial euphoria wore off, didn't play very well. And there were some, you know, the ownership didn't connect with the fans and the sponsorship well. Uh, there were a lot of reasons that people didn't like it. But you, you do wonder um, if there would have been an opportunity to, to do something a little differently. I think after the initial name came out that it was going to be Devil Rays, they did a phone-in thing. And I think Manta Rays was the other option. And they said Devil Rays won. And at that point, it didn't really matter. That wasn't like a better choice anyway. But you know, maybe yeah. one of the underrated things that the Stu Sternberg ownership group did when they came in, I mean, we know how they totally transformed the baseball operations, totally transformed the game of baseball in a way. But the, the yeah. rebranding, to do that, you know, and time that up, they went through a couple of rough years, but they kind of coincided that when they thought they were going to be better. They didn't think they were going to be in the World Series in 08, but they thought they'd be better. That rebranding, and I always have that image in my head, they had that uh, party for it down at Vinoy Park or Straub Park in downtown St. Pete. Yep. And the first couple of guys came out with the new look, and then Johnny Gomes had a T-shirt on and ripped it off with the, the <laughs> new Rays jersey underneath, and, and that was really the introduction, in a way, of the Rays era. It was, and uh, uh, and there's an ode to history with that, too, because those colors 
were the same colors as the old St. Petersburg Saints, which my dad played for years and years ago, which was one of St. Petersburg's first team. Hey, Mark, uh, you're going to get to participate in something that I would think few writers uh, do, and that is that Fred McGriff going into the uh, Baseball Hall of Fame has his orientation, and you get to go with him. Yeah, it's an incredible opportunity, Rick, and um, the Hall of Fame affords that to a, a writer or two from each uh, person who's elected that they kind of get of their choosing. And uh, just to be able to go through the Hall of Fame, I've, I've had the incredible privilege to cover a couple of inductions, Wade Boggs and Tony La Russa, and just to, to see them, to write about them and tell their story is one thing, but to see them interact with who are now their colleagues. I mean, they're now the greatest team they've ever been on, and in this case, to see Fred walk into the hall and get to experience, uh, you know, realizing he's going to have a plaque in that same room and he's going to have his memorabilia displayed the same way. And it's just a really cool opportunity and really appreciative of, of Fred doing the invite. And obviously we'll have a full story on that coming up this weekend and plenty of coverage leading up to his July induction. Yeah. Well, it's well-deserved. And of course, um, Fred played here for a number of years and, and uh, waited maybe a little too long, uh, but great to see him get his opportunity to go into the, Baseball Hall of Fame. Um, okay, now let's get to, to something that I know is near and dear to your heart, as he was to so many of us. Uh, Dave Wills, of course, his passing a few weeks ago, and there was a memorial uh, that was held at Tropicana Field. You spoke uh, at that memorial, as did many of his family members and others. Um, but, Mark, I, I know how close you were to Dave. Um, I know what he thought of you. Uh, always called you Topper. Uh, and and the time that you guys have spent together is incalculable when you cover baseball as long as the two of you have been doing it with the Rays. So um, in, if you could just summarize, I know it's been a couple of, of very tough weeks for all his friends and family, um, but what what that, what that it meant to you to see so many people come out and, and celebrate his life and, and just sort of what you shared with, uh, with the folks that were there. Yeah, I mean, it was it was really interesting, Rick. We had, I think, six people spoke, and then uh, including Stu Sternberg, the owner of the Rays, Jerry Reinsdorf, uh, the owner of the White Sox, sent a, a very poignant letter. Uh, some of Dave's wow. family members, some of his friends from Chicago, and, and Andy Freed and myself, and, and certainly Dave's daughter and son. And there was a, a consistent theme, and it, it it wasn't surprising, but you know, when you when you hear it, you know, five or six people talk, and they all kind of say the same thing. It was just what an incredible person he was, what a connector he was. Uh, he yep. was the guy who liked to be in the center of the room. He liked to be the center of attention. He enjoyed being Dave Wills. I think the first sentence of, of one of the worst stories I've ever had to write, his obituary was Dave Wills loved being Dave Wills. And, and uh, mm-hmm. Roger Mooney, our good friend who used to work with us, called me the next day and said, I've been reading you for 30-something years now. That's the most true thing you've ever written. And, and um, I took it, obviously, as a compliment, but... <laughs> um, that's just who Dave was. And then we heard that from, you know, a friend of his from middle school and we heard it from his, his grown friend, John Winters, a lawyer. And we heard it from his brother, Bill. And, you know, we heard it, uh, from, well, obviously Andy from myself. I mean, all Dave wanted to do is he, he loved to be loved and he loved to love people. And, and I think that was the theme that was most prevalent from everything you heard in every aspect of his life. And, um, I, I don't know if there's anything better you can say about a man than, you know, he loved everyone and everyone loved him. What are, what are the Rays doing to to uh, memorialize him this year? Are they have? I mean, is there there's stuff planned, right? Or yeah, for sure. And and you know, I mean, he's Dave's going to be a part of this franchise forever. And it wouldn't surprise me if someday, whether in this stadium or the next stadium, it's the Dave Wills Radio booth. But 
Um, sure. There'll be a, a, a DK, well, first of all, there'll be a night for him. Uh, the, the ceremony that was held this past week was private at the request of the family, friends and family, Major League Baseball sure. personnel. There'll be a public celebration of his life. Prior, it'll be a ceremony prior to the game on April 22nd. They're playing the White Sox. It couldn't be more fitting. I oh, believe okay, it's Irish great. Heritage Night. Dave's a member of the Irish American Baseball Hall <laughs> wow. of Fame. So Perfect. it all coalesced uh, together. Um, there's going to be a scholarship started by the Rays in his name. Uh, and, and this is actually really neat. There's a, a, a decal they made of a microphone with the word Dave on it. And it's wow. going to go on the batting helmet. They're going to wear that all season. And, and Dave, being a, a pitcher by nature, a pitching coach before he became a broadcaster, always felt like the hitters never did enough. So I kind of view it. He's going to be right in their ear now. He's going to be right in their head for every time <laughs> they go up to the plate. They got Dave Wills telling them they stink. They got to get better. So I, I think that was, whether intentional or not, but very appropriate for the Rays to put it on the batter's helmets. It's a perfect location uh, um, for sure. Well, he is uh, Mark Topkin, of course, uh, starting – 25 seasons of Rays baseball. He's been there for every pitch. And, Mark, thanks for joining us. Have a great year. I'm sure we'll talk to you throughout the season. Sounds good, Rick. This is even better than a national holiday. This is a local holiday because not only the Rays have opening day at the Trop at 310, you get to take on a double header of action. You can do the Rays game and then, you know, zip over to Emily Arena and watch the Lightning host the Caps at 7. Alexander Ovechkin, are you kidding me? What's a better sports day than that, man? Uh, there's not many. I mean, we've had some where we've had, like, Rays and Bucks on Monday Night Football the same day before. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, opening day. Playoff action, and then, maybe, yeah. You know, the Lightning are, you know, close to clinching a playoff berth. Mm-hmm. Get Alex Ovechkin in and the Caps. Great stuff, man. Yeah. I mean, these games now, up. what, two and a half, 240? So, that 310 start, they could be done before six. I think people are going to yeah. love the pitch clock. They're going yes. to love it. They're going to love the pitch clock, and they're going to love the fact that the shifts are gone. Left-handed batters, on average, a guy like Below or Wander Franco, when he hits from that side, their average is going up 15 to 20 points, man. Mm-hmm. I'm just telling you. Those balls that are laced between first and second, you, you can play a right fielder in tight like that, but you're going to have to leave a field open if you do it because you can't yep. do it with an infield. You have to do it with the outfield. And people are going to try to game the system and all of that, but it's not going to be like the shifts were in the past. And if you're a left-handed hitter, man, this has to be your favorite year in baseball. Mm-hmm. You've got to take full advantage. So that'll be interesting. So, yeah, enjoy uh, enjoy the just a banner day for Tampa Bay sports. We'll talk about all of it tomorrow on Sports Day Tampa Bay. For Steve Burstick, I'm Rick Stroud, the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great day, everybody. 